I'm Stephen John Drew from Better Podcasting, a podcast about podcasting, part of the Gunna Geek Network. Just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to the last remaining newspaper of Earth 2, the Starling Tribune, now broadcasting from an Earth 1 shelter and staying away from Lila. I am the Chief Editor SP and your other award-winning reporters for this episode number 255 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. And here I thought I was the bad guy. Well, you're always the bad guy in my narratives, Chris. And Michelle. Welcome to Russia, my favorite American. He has a lot of favorite Americans. He does. This podcast is recorded on Friday, November 22nd, 2019, live on www.geeks.live. That's right, and this evening we'll be discussing the most recent episode of Arrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements that have dropped in the last week that could, let's be honest, will impact future episodes of Arrow, as well as The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, and the rest of the universe. Oh, yeah, and this minor thing called the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover that might be coming up soon. Just a tiny little thing. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at gunnagate.com, where you can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Woohoo! We got the show running! Thanks, guys, for helping with that. And Michelle... Why don't we run down what we watched on Arrow this week? This episode is Prognost, Season 8, Episode 5. It aired Tuesday, November 19, 2019. Directed by Laura Belzey. Credits include 7, Arrow, 2 of The Walking Dead, 1 Flash, and 2 episodes of Preacher. Written by Benjamin Robb. Credits include 4, Arrow, 2 Flash, and 7, Warehouse 13. And Derek A. Hughes credits include four episodes of Arrow, Two Flash, and Seven Warehouse 13. You know, we're refugees from Earth 2, but I think we're seeing a lot of sci-fi refugees. And by sci-fi, I mean S-Y-F-Y refugees with Benjamin and Derek coming over from Warehouse 13. Siffy, you mean. Yes, the Siffy, which doesn't really have any shows on it anymore. We'll talk about that later, maybe. But ask us on Twitter if you want to know more about it. This episode, Prognosht, which I totally butchered right there, but I'm just going to leave that alone because I've embarrassed myself enough, aired this week in November in a sea of DC comic book shows in preparation for Crisis on Infinite Earths, with Chris mentioned and alluded to before. It started Sunday the 17th of November with Batwoman. With its seventh episode, Tell Me the Truth, to a live rating of 1.01. It deserves a higher rating. That show's been fun. Following Batwoman was Supergirl with the seventh episode of the fifth season, Tremors, to a live rating of 0.79. And Monday, Black Lightning had its sixth episode of the third season, The Book of Resistance, Chapter 1, Knocking on Heaven's Door, to a live rating of 0.62. Flash aired right before this episode of Error we're talking about tonight with its sixth 
episode of the sixth season, License to Elongate. I've seen about the first 10 minutes of it to a live rating of 1.29. Nice to see a lot of, what do you, what do you call the 007, the suit? Tuxedo. Tuxedo, there you go. And this episode of Arrow had a live rating of 0.74, which is slightly up from previous weeks. Everybody's getting ready for the finale and the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. So, Michelle, have you seen all the episodes from this week? No. Okay. But in general, if you've seen most of them, they are getting ready for the crossover. They're all hitting its stride and getting ready to go. I've seen all of them except for Black Lightning and, like I said, the the last 45 minutes or so of Flash. And looking forward to the crossover coming up here. So, Michelle, we have the overall theme that we talk about every week with our Arrow episodes, and we often relate the overall theme to the title of the episode, which I will say the showrunners do a great job of not only titling the episode, but having some allusion to the DC Green Arrow universe. So what do you think about this week? Well, Proknost means strength in Russian, and we heard that during the um, toast after the mission. And we had a lot of fighting in the ring. And of course, it takes strength to beat each other up. But I think it takes even more strength to actually show the bad parts of you, actually reveal the mistakes that you've done, the weaknesses that you have. Because Oliver in the beginning is like, okay, I have this chance with my kids and I don't want to mess it up. So I'm going to present good Oliver. and. Anatoly's right. You have to let them know that you've made mistakes as well and let them see that side. And that's what we get. I do have a slight issue on Oliver and when he was opening himself up to the kids at the end, which I think was a great move. And it was in true arrow form to get to the end and do something that Oliver doesn't want to do. And he ends up doing it willingly at the end anyway. But he says, the floor is open. Ask me anything and I will tell you the answer. So they ask him about the thumb trick. You know, William talks about the thumb trick and then Oliver's like, I don't want to talk about it. It's too painful. Literally. I mean, he's talking about pain there. Uh, so what else? And I'm like, well, you just said anything. And then they said, show us the thumb trick. And then he said, no. Okay. Well, he said, ask you anything. Asking anything, you can ask. It doesn't mean he has to answer. He said, ask me anything. He didn't say, I'll answer everything. He didn't say, I will show you everything. You can ask whatever you want. Doesn't mean you get an answer. It's true. I don't think that was the spirit of what he was saying, but okay. Hey, I've been in education for over 15 years. That's what you got to do. You got to read that line there. So... I was just grateful to see the CGI tennis balls again. Me too. That was a nice callback to season one. I enjoyed it. She never pulled back more than one arrow, though, because didn't Oliver do like two, three, four arrows at one point in time when he was training? I believe so. In the early days, he was shooting multiple arrows to get tennis balls. And she wasn't really going fast enough to hit all of them by the time they ended their run there. I mean, she hit a lot of them at the end, but not all of them. So that's more realistic. That she's just learning. Yes, she's was trained by Nissa Al Ghul to fight, but to do arrows and everything—that's more of 
what her dad did, not what Nyssa could do. Nyssa was more sword fighting and such. Dad is the arrow. Are you saying that she can't do it until she starts slapping some water? I know. Exactly. Nyssa did not know that trick. She, you know, came in late in the game. That was a Yao Fei trick, not a Nyssa Al Ghul trick. Felicity probably really didn't want to include that lesson. So, you know, Mia hasn't had a chance to slap water. So, of course, it took her time to get some of the tennis balls, which I liked. I like that she didn't know it all at the beginning. Yeah, she hit the first one off the bat, though. That was pretty good. Well, that's just one. And then I just love how he was like, yeah, that's the warm up. And boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah, like the 12 balls in the bowl. Well, I like that after this is what season eight, we finally get the reasoning for why shooting at the tennis balls is so important. I mean, we knew it was important for getting his aim and things like that. But Oliver finally goes into if the shot's not perfectly centered, the arrow is going to glance off of it. And you're like, oh, so there's more than it just looking cool on camera while you'd potentially want to shoot at tennis balls. And that was kind of nice to finally get the full story of why that was one of his training techniques. I like this episode. The visualization of this episode alone was great because when Anatoly met Oliver on the Amazo. They were in cages, right, next to each other on the ship. And that's where Prognost actually came from. And then you get the cages for the cage fight in this episode. So this is the visualization alone. If you want to link that back to that very first time that we saw Anatoly, it was great. And by the way, we got Anatoly. I wanted it last week. We didn't have confirmation yet, but thank you for bringing back Anatoly for one last great episode in Mother Russia. And I'm glad he's got his chill back. All that weird fraught for drama is put behind him. He's now a bar owner with barely any customers because he's serving pina coladas probably. But hey, he's good old Anatoly right there with the right line and the right advice. His moments with Laurel were classic. At first, he's like, you are like Leopard, can't change spots. And then afterwards, he apologizes and he's like, maybe you are like me. We can change. We got to talk about that scene because that scene right there where he's talking to her about making it. I think that was the final straw that she took forward and said, yes, I can change. And instead of working for the Harbinger, she decided to side with Oliver right then and there. I thought I you just take a look at her expression as she's turning around, leaving Anatoly. I swear that's when the creative team wants us to believe that's where she made her decision. I tend to agree with you that that was the moment where she was like, hey, holy crap, I'm kind of I've been doing this hero thing on Earth, too. But now now I'm kind of seen as a hero here. And Oliver trusts me, someone who really didn't trust me for a long time. So maybe I shouldn't betray him and go behind his back to ruin his plan to stop the monitor. And in fact, she evidently spills the beans to Oliver and Dig about what's going on. It's a good moment for continuing to rehabilitate this character of Black Siren into the new Black Canary. Well, we have a lot of fights. Which one do we want to start with? I want to start with talking about the fight choreography in this episode overall, because it was very well presented, but you could definitely, now that I've been watching the show for eight years, and I know kind of what the prime stunt people, the doubles that they look like, I could clearly tell when a shot was going from the actual actor to the stunt person because they do i mean once you've been watching this for a while you notice different body styles different body types different facial thicknesses and the neck and stuff like that so i could clearly tell 
now that I've been watching the show for eight years and watching for this sort of technical stuff that I could tell what it was going on. Also, it wasn't just one continual shot. It was cut shots, but it was portrayed heavy and often and, and, and just brutal. All the action across the board. You got Roy who still has the rage going on. You have the cage fights that are going on. You have the other fights which are going on. You have Mia trying to ring the bell. I mean, she almost gets there. So the action in this episode was, it was very Bratva-like. It was very early Oliver Brawler-like, but it, did, it, it was great team action overall. You had to make those cage fights brutal because there's no other way those can be. And they did a great job of putting it on the small screen and kind of showing how intense and brutal and painful those things are. I mean, and we get reminded that Oliver's a hell of a fighter. And we see it again this week when he's holding his own in the six-man fight with his daughter by his side. And in the very beginning, when he's just beating up the man that's mountain-like, for lack of a better term, Oliver is a good fighter. Let's go back to the mountain there. I don't want to call him the mountain. I want to call him the mustache. Was that real? Does anyone else think that was a fake mustache? Because I totally think it was fake, and I don't care because I want a mustache like that. Oh my gosh, it was huge. It was straight. I mean, just the mustache alone said how, I mean, he was shirtless, so he obviously was built, but the mustache alone was like, I'm broad, and I'm built, and I'm coming to get you. <laughs> it was a pretty epic mustache. Now I'm jealous that my mustache is not like that. It's going to take months to get like that. Oh, it's just like three days for me, Chris. You know, this mustache says I'm the mountain. We can call you the mountain SP, or do you prefer Stargate the Mountain Pioneer? Which do you prefer? Let's go Stargate the Mountain Pioneer. Let's go with that. Okay. I'm going to try and remember that as we progress here. I'm even going to take a note for myself so that I don't forget it. <laughs> okay, Haas. You, th you think I'm kidding? My notebook's are right here. You're welcome, Haas. You will remember, by the way, for those of us who have no idea what we're talking about, the mountain was a character in Game of Thrones. A show that I have never watched. A show I watched till the end. Anyway, we find out that there's like, oh, a thing of, oh, whatever, the MacGuffin that they have to go after. Who cares? <laughs> well said. <laughs> well said. <laughs> well, it's true. At the end, what do they do with it? They have the plutonium, they have the MacGuffin, and, and yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I love how Mia and Oliver, they get taken by the Bratva because, of course, they, they are. You know, we're getting all these callbacks. I love William going, it's odd for everyone to, like, inject each other retracting devices, but right now I kind of wish, wish they had, but we have to find them the, the, the hard way. And then... Again, we get the thumb dislocation and Oliver and Mia about ready to get out. And then there comes Canary and them like right there. It's like, we found you. And he's like, yeah, I just busted my thumbs. We were about ready to get out. That was cool. Yeah, that internal monologue for Oliver Queen is going to be like, damn it. I didn't have to do this again. I could have just waited 30 seconds and I wouldn't have had to. Ah. Well, at least he gets to save face that he actually got out of it and he wasn't still in bindings when they came in. Canary voice down the wall, the door? Is that screamed? Yeah, she, screamed? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she screamed. But Canary you know, that, that's an interesting thing you brought up, though, is I think an Oliver from earlier seasons might have cared that he was seen in that position of weakness and someone had to help him. But season eight, Oliver, I don't know that that necessarily would have bothered him as much that, oh, someone had to help me. He seems to be a bit more accepting of help from others lately. 
after he got over the hump of I need to do this alone because I don't want to drag anybody else into it. Yes, after Diggle knocked some sense into him that was I'm doing this with you and other people are doing it with you. But I mean, maybe we're seeing the final maturation of the Green Arrow before he inevitably at the end, we assume. Oliver got that nice talk from Anatoly because Oliver, when he told Mia and William, I still see you as kids. Like, I, I just saw you in your crib and I was angry that I couldn't get you on the phone when you went to your grandparents. And Stephen Amell acting, it was, it was great. Like, I was completely in there. He's grown so much as an actor over these past eight years. It, it was amazing. That was a great scene. I had the same thing in my notes, that that was a phenomenal scene from Stephen Amell. Well done. It's not something I think we would have seen season one, Oliver, or him able to do for Oliver in season one, because I think, much like you said, he's grown a lot in this role. And having to be the one who carries the load of being the lead actor on a show for eight years that's then spun off multiple other shows from it, and for lack of a better term, let's call him the godfather of the Arrow universe here. Wait a minute. You're calling him Greg Berlanti? Well, I mean, Berlanti does play a massive role in it. So I'm not trying to minimize the contributions of the production staff, things like that. I, I realized there was some interpretation where that could be the case. So thank you for facetiously pointing that out to me. But I mean, the fact of the matter is Stephen Amell has kind of been the face of this world for a lot of fans for many years. And we're moving towards a moment where he's not going to be anymore. And it's really fun from a fan perspective to see him getting to go out doing things we haven't seen him do before. And it makes you kind of go, hmm, I wonder what he's going to be involved with in future roles of how he's going to be different than the Oliver Queen character we've seen, how he's going to get to stretch his range and do things that we haven't seen yet. So I enjoyed it. And he's doing a great job this season. One of the things that we have to keep in mind is ratings wise, Barry Allen is pretty much the face of the Arrowverse. And I will call it Arrowverse. I'm not going to call it Flashverse. Barry Allen is would be the face for most. I mean, if technicalities are in order, it would be Barry Allen versus Oliver Queen. However, you're right. Oliver Queen is one to start. Matter of fact, if it wasn't for Stephen Amell, I don't think the Flash would have ever been made. You are 100% correct. The Flash was built on the back of Arrow because they used that crossover to establish things to gauge interest. And that's remember Arrow's numbers in season two. They were pretty awesome. And that's when they set up The Flash was through all of that. So I'm not trying to give Stephen Mel credit for the success of The Flash. That's not what I was trying to say. I'm just trying to say that he's played a big role in being the face of this world that a lot of people associate with it and helping to keep interest going, uh, make things right with fans, chat with fans, keep people engaged. And I'm sure those are wonderful skills he can carry with him to his next show that he's on. Right. I mean, it all started with Stephen Amell running on a beach, presumably somewhere in Vancouver, but running on a beach on Leanne Yu and just starting the whole universe off. Also, I want to point out one thing, which this might be the first confirmation that we actually got from it. And it might be so far removed from it mattering that it was just glossed over. But I think and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this was the first time that Oliver Queen referenced to William, that William's grandparents basically were the reasons why they didn't talk way back in those years, because Oliver was saying he kept on trying to get William, but yet William never got those calls. 
I believe you might be right because I don't think he went to that level of detail when they first got pulled to the present. Yeah, so I think this was the the first and like I said, I don't think it matters anymore, but it would it would have mattered to William back then. And speaking of William, him being the guy in the suit fits him perfectly. How he was able to get Mia and Oliver into that final fight, them wearing green hoods, by the way, that was perfect. It was nice. And him just being all smooth. I mean, yes, he can do the hackety hackety stuff, but he's got something that Felicity doesn't. And that's like a little bit of a suaveness. Maybe he got that from his biological mom, or maybe it's a little bit of Oliver. Or maybe he's just himself because he is like a billionaire and such. But it wears on him really well. Definitely from Anna Hopkins, who's the actor that played his mom. Definitely from that. And maybe from Oliver as well as Stephen Amell. I could see the cross between the two, actually. But William got the call from his dad to suit up that was awesome i mean he's the only one that's actually literally going to be in a suit in what's coming on and you're right he does a great job of it he uh, is able to expertly negotiate the fact that he wanted those fighters in there and let's go for something that i know is going to get him in there let's go against six so he made that on the spot and oliver or mia did not say anything about it when negotiations were going on they trusted him as he was doing it he was made for the role you're right about that so is there anything else we want to talk about, Chris? I enjoyed getting to see Anatoly, presumably one last time. I don't imagine he's coming back in crisis. But I also enjoyed the return of Roy Harper and the fact that, hey, we let the word out what happened to Roy in the future. And Diggs like, yeah, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to try and bring him back into everything sooner to see if we can't get his redemption or recovery from the bloodlust sooner than later. So. I'm cautiously optimistic to see where they go with having Roy involved in things for Crisis. I mean, it sort of makes sense that if you're a longtime viewer of this show, you'd kind of want Arsenal to show up for the big finale. So kudos to them for bringing him back and not glossing over the fact that, yeah, he's still a little messed up because of the bloodlust. SP? Yeah, I got three things. First of all, I will drink umbrella drinks with Anatoly any day of the week and twice on Sunday. You just call me up, man. I'll be right there. Secondly, is that we talked about it before, Laurel, and she made the decision where I think she made the decision. Now, let's back up a second, because I believe it was last episode, if not last episode, the episode before, where I predicted that she would be working with Oliver behind the scenes to do some sort of reverse uh, heist against the monitor. Obviously, that didn't happen. It happened a little bit differently where she colluded with Diggle and Oliver, and I'm not sure if she colluded with them all along, but definitely right before that last meeting. And that is a question that I will always have in my mind, will never be answered. I don't see it being relative at this point in time, but I would like to know, just personally, whether she was talking with Oliver from the moment the Monitor sought her out, or if it was just after Russia. And then finally, what the heck is going on with Lila? She... Trank darts all three of them as she's facing them down. She has them. It was like she planned that all three of them were going to come and take her on at that point. And so she tranks all three. That's wow. I don't know if that was her or another party that's involved that we haven't seen yet, because I don't think we saw her shoot. Presumably it's someone working for her in the shadows. Yeah. The real question I would have is what is her deal with the monitor? Why is she working with him? What has been promised to her? 
the Reddit and the internet has this theory that somehow the monitor is going to bring back baby Sarah. Yeah, okay, I'd be up for that. I would forgive Lila for everything for that, because I've been wanting Sarah back for a while, too. I think the whole what happened in Flashpoint was just ridiculous. Because the thing is, what would motivate Lila to work at odds against Oliver and her husband, who she's been working with for years, has a good working relationship with? What would be the reason that she would decide, oh, I'm going to work with the monitor to do this? What, what's the card he can play to flip her over? We saw the card he tried to play with Laurel, which is, I can bring back Earth too. So presumably, if he can claim to do that, could he bring baby Sarah back from the issues they had with Flashpoint where she got erased? Maybe she exists on another Earth and the thought, I, I don't know. that There's got to be something we haven't figured out yet. I think baby Sarah is probably wishful thinking by a lot of people because they pretty much haven't touched on it since they resolved that plot thread right after Flashpoint. But there has to be something in play here. Is it that she owes him because she gets superpowers by working with the Monitor to help stop Crisis? There's something. I just don't know what. That would be very selfish of her to get superpowers in response for this. So I don't know that it's necessarily because she wants them for herself, but more so that she can play a part to protect her family and her Earth also. I mean, let's look at what we've seen from Lila over the years. Is She's not Amanda Waller in regards to how she prioritizes things, but she will play fast and loose with things to try and do things to save or to fix the bigger picture, I guess is the right term I'm looking for here. There's a name that we haven't considered on the show yet for coming in crisis. Amanda Waller. Wow. That would be awesome. I don't think they're going to be allowed to do that because remember, we haven't gotten much from that season two task force X slash suicide squad stuff since then since they did the movies and kind of said yeah you guys you did a good job making these things popular again or bringing them back into the cultural zeitgeist we're taking them and arguably doing a worse job with some of these characters than you were but neither here nor there okay that's fair i kind of downplay that from time to time but i shouldn't because it's real it happened and it continues to happen and if there is one critique i will have about this entire series and not just this series i mean it applies to all the arrowverse series is the role that warner brothers film division plays in what's allowed to play here i'm just shocked they're letting them play with batman for crisis that really surprised me and i imagine part of that's because they think you can help the batwoman tv series to have a Batman from an even different Earth involved. And the fanboy in me is excited because it's Kevin Conroy, who is the voice of Batman in everything I read. But I am really shocked that the big WB said, yeah, you guys can use Batman because that's always been something that's kind of been seemingly off the table for a lot of people. What if they do the same thing that they've been doing with a lot of shows and use Crisis as a backdoor pilot for a Batman show and bring in a new Batman, not one that we've seen before? No, they're doing a Batman movie, so no. I think the Batman has too much. I don't think they're going to do that, especially since they're doing a Superman thing and they're doing, yeah, I don't think they're going to do a Batman. That's what made me think about it, is they are doing a Superman thing. So if they do a Superman thing, why not do a Batman thing? Superman movies are kind of dead right now. That's why they can get away with it, is that Henry Cavill... While he's still involved with the role, they have no plans to pursue any Superman movies currently, it seems like. So it's sort of back on the table. Now, what would be interesting is if they use Crisis in Kevin Conroy as an older Batman to then spin off and do a Batman Beyond inspired 
program, in which case take all of my money right now because I've wanted a continuation or an update or a revival of Batman Beyond since it got canceled. Take my money right now. If you can have Kevin Conroy as the old Bruce Wayne mentoring someone who is the Batman of the future in the cool Batman Beyond suit, I'm totally in. I just don't know how well you could do it with a TV budget. That's the problem. How about Kevin Conroy as old Bruce Wayne in the spinoff? Yeah, I'd be totally on board. I need reasons to watch the spinoff. And I read an article. I didn't put it in the show notes about how there could be a love triangle with Mia, JJ, and um, Connor. And I'm just like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. No. That's just like, that's turning me off. Don't do that. It's a CW show. I have to remind myself sometimes. And these things are predicated on relationship angst and three connections between people and will they, won't they, who's going to win in the end, blah, blah, blah. That would be hilarious if Laurel comes in and is like, uh-uh, but we tried this one before. It don't work. You guys got to figure it out right now, and it stops right now. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. By the way, I did tweet to the showrunner of Arrow, by the way, Beth Schwartz. The production has ended. They have had their rap party, and I just tweeted her Beth Schwartz and I said thank you very much for all the work that you've done you've made this series enjoyable to watch in the last couple of years so thank you very much she replied back I'm glad you're enjoying it so if you are listening to this Beth or one of the people that works for you is listening thank you very much for replying to that and I meant it thank you very much for making the show as good as it has been at the end it gives me a reason to watch versus turning it off because we were close to that in the previous couple of years so I have to admit, I was very happy that Laurel turned down the monitor for whatever reason, whatever moment she decided to do it. I'm glad she did it. And I thought it was interesting. She had that moment with Lila. Come clean. She's talked about how she's been a villain. I've done the wrong thing. And here I am doing the right thing by turning down this deal. Come clean and just tell us why you're working with the monitor. And Lila's just like, nope. And then here comes, you know, Oliver and Diggle. And the look on John's face. That was tough. That was really tough for him. And he was still ready to confront her at that point, too. It's, he's, you could clearly see the disgust and all the stuff that he's been dealing with with the future, too. And he's seen this right in front of him. And he was ready to go, okay, we need to correct this right now. I don't know what that meant in terms of his mind. Like, taking her down, I don't think was an option, but stopping her from doing what she was doing was on his mind. Just never happened because they got Trank Dark. And David Ramsey's had some really good chances this season to show different sides of John Diggle. And on a side note, because I saw it on Twitter, uh, happy birthday, David Ramsey. He turned 48 between this episode and our last one. I had no idea he was 48 years old. 48 is good for a Green Lantern. Yeah, I think he could still be Green Lantern. So make it happen. Do it, do it, do it. Well, there's going to be some interesting consequences to the whole Trank Dart situation because next week's episode is called Reset. It's season eight, episode six. It will air Tuesday, November 26, 2019. Oliver is faced with a life or death situation after being double crossed by Lila. Laurel has an opportunity to make amends. Directed by, man, we were just talking about David Ramsey, written by Onalee Hunter and Maya Houston. Thank you. 
live from the Starling Tribune Earth 2 shelter here on Earth 1, it's the Weekly News Roundup with award-winning chief news anchor Michelle Ely. And now, Michelle Ely. A lot of the news right now are just like synopsis and spoilers about crisis. And while we do have a spoiler warning at the beginning, I think we, at least I am, wanting some surprise. I don't want to know everything going in. But the one thing I do want to talk about is that the CW released their official poster for the crisis. And what it looks like is, first off, you know, you have the monitor in the back, and there are three Earths in front of them. Batwoman is, boom, right there in the middle. And then, of course, in front of her, you've got the Green Arrow, Supergirl, Flash in the middle, White Canary, and Black Lightning. I've learned that only Black Lightning is going to be the one from that show in Crisis, that what it seems like. That it makes sense. They're all right there. They're the ones that have the TV shows. And of course, they're there. And Flash, everybody's like, he's going to die. What's interesting is who else is on the poster. If you go to, well, my left, you see Heat Wave 5. Now, if you've been watching The Flash, you know why I'm surprised that vibe is on there. And I won't say any more. And then you have Iris. And then underneath Batwoman's like arm really tiny you see John Wesley ships the flash so we have two flashes already on this poster and if you know anything about crisis and what's going on that's very interesting and it's very interesting that he's really tiny like you had to like really look for him well true but he was in an earlier episode this year of the flash with a crisis slant to it and set it up last year with the crisis in his appearance as well yeah but considering the five thousand characters that they're going to have the ones that they've picked for this poster the official one is just very interesting because as we move up over batwoman's arm okay seeing tyler hoakland superman and lois lane not a surprise that's cool but next to lois lane is John Constantine. And that's something that we really haven't been talking about. I mean, again, there's like 5,000 cameos going on. There's John Constantine on the official. Again, I'm making a big deal of it because it's the official poster. Yeah. And uh, Ray Palmer is not. The three legends of tomorrow that you see on here are Sarah, uh, Rory, and Constantine. Yeah. But I think part of the reason Ray is not on there is because they do have a Brandon Ralph Superman on there and I don't know that they really want to invite the confusion potentially from some folks of why is the why is the Adam in a Superman suit or something like that or vice versa I mean I'm stretching a little bit there but I think that's part of it is you've already got him on the poster once you don't need to put him on the poster twice so I'm not necessarily sure that's a shot at legends per se more just I think it's more interesting from a fan perspective to see Superman standing next to Lex Luthor yeah and that's what do I talk about? If you look at this poster, composition-wise, you know, you have Batwoman sort of protecting, and then you have more people on the left. On the right side, my right side, above her arm, there are four characters, and it's very interesting. It's Harbinger, Kingdom Comes Superman, John Cryer's Lex Luthor, so it's the Lex Luthor that we've gotten to know in Supergirl, and Martian Manhunter. And if you've been watching Supergirl, there's an interesting connection between him and the Monitor and what's been going on there. 
And it's almost like they're four individuals together. It's almost suggesting that they are going to be working together or maybe they're aligned somehow. It's just composition wise, you know, again, this is an official poster. Someone thought about this. And I kind of find it interesting just how there are so many heroes on the left side. And then on that right, you've just kind of got like those four. Basically at the bottom, and you keep talking about Batwoman, so she's there. Those actors that are in the circle at the bottom, those are all the leads for the current shows on CW. Right. And that's why I'm not surprised that they're there. Right. It's who's behind them and who's on the left side when we look at the poster of Batwoman and then who is just kind of like up there on the right with Harbinger and stuff. Yeah, there's no anti-monitor. There's no, their mother is not depicted on here that I know of. I don't know that the groupings necessarily mean anything on here. Other than they like provoking thought exercises. I don't know, dude. You have vibe next to John Wesley Shipp. I think Michelle's got a point there with those three that are there. I think they're grouped for a reason. I don't know, man. It feels like they just kind of ripped off the Infinity War poster to me. I mean, I think it looks cool, but put it up side by side with the Avengers Infinity War poster. The color palettes are kind of the same. The way they've kind of broken characters up with Batwoman posed the same way that Tony Stark was in the center of the poster, arms outstretched and people surrounding her. It's not a bad poster. I just feel like they kind of went with for the vibe of the Infinity War poster. So I'm kind of not necessarily thinking there's a ton of meaning to how things were arranged in there, similar to how the Infinity War poster, if you look at it, didn't really have a ton of meaning based off how people were arranged on screen. I can't tell what suit Supergirl has on either, if it's the pantsuit or if it's the skirt. It's got to be the pantsuit, I imagine, because she's got the bangs. Yeah. Yeah, okay. She's got bangs, but I don't. I can't see the suit. That's by design, I think, too. Yeah. It's not a bad poster. It does what it needs to do to get excitement out of it. I just... I kind of feel like it's just going for, hey, here's a lot of these characters we're going to have on screen that you're going to be interested in. I think it's interesting if the theories that we're throwing around here of these characters working together come true, but I'm not necessarily sure that's what they're going for, especially considering how defensive they have been about giving pretty much any of the major stuff away in regards to Crisis, which is why I was shocked they actually put the episode descriptions out for the first three parts, which I have not looked at. Because I didn't want to know, but I was really surprised they actually put them out. I think they have to because they go on the two week in advance uh, guide on TV. See, I'd have just pulled the a hole move and be like, Crisis Part One. And that's all my description <laughs> is Crisis Part Two and Crisis Part Three. I think they just had to release it at that point. And it's not like a movie where they're able to withhold anything that they want until the actual premiere. I think they have to let some stuff out in order to make it into the digital worlds i do want to bring up one thing separate from the poster though and we haven't talked a lot about it on this show but this year in dc comics they've been doing the year of the villain and they've been doing their own crisis over there so if you're reading any of the comic books you've seen this because it has intertwined into everything and one of the key characters in everything He's just overshadowing everything just by symbology alone is Lex Luthor. Lex is a huge issue in, no pun intended, he's a huge part of the DC Comics crisis this year in the comic books. And I think 
from what I've been reading so far in the year that they have done a great job of doing their own spin on what's going on in crisis and grabbing all of the relevant characters that they can. Now, this is not the crisis that the show is going to be based on. It's a new one. It's a different one. It's kind of like infinity war or uh, civil war part two that Marvel did around the time that they did civil war on screen. So it's kind of like that, but it's well done and I've been enjoying it and just pay attention to Lex Luthor. I think he's going to be a main character in this whole thing. It's going to be one of the big brains, one could argue, because Lex Luthor is one of the smartest men on Earth. What is that, 53? Or is it 58? Or 50, not 38? God, what is wrong with me? I'm getting all my numbers wrong. Supergirl's Earth is Earth 38. Yeah, Tom Cavanaugh is not on this poster. I think they're leaving some things. I mean, it's just like Erica Durant and Tom Welling aren't either, and neither is uh, Kevin Conroy. They can't put everyone on a poster at this point in time. Tom Cavanaugh has been a main character, although different characters. He's been a main character on The Flash since the get-go. Right, and that might be part of the reason why he's not on the poster, because you're like, whoa, which Tom Cavanaugh character is this? I don't know who I'm looking at here, because it could be anyone, and we've talked casting news about the role he was going to play on this, so he he's like the utility knife of this show, because like we need someone to do this. Give it to Tom Cavanaugh. He can do another take on Harrison Wells or just something like that. He's phenomenal in what he does. Because also, there's no, there's no Spartan. There's no Black Canary. There's no Mia. I mean, the only one from Arrow is Arrow. Right. There's no Team Arrow. Well, Elila's on there. But Sarah's not Team Arrow anymore. She's Team Legends. All right. There's no Killer Frost. I think this is just the first of many we've got coming. They're going to have other members of the team on it. I mean, it's interesting. And they took some good production stills and did some Photoshop work on it and put them all together. I think we're going to get more posters as we get closer to it and to drive excitement. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I would be curious to see as more posters come out, if any of these groupings remain the same or how they change or who gets inserted into some of these groupings. Because that could go further down the theory that Michelle was having on how some of these folks might be related or teamed together. So say in poster two, we see something that's like Lex Luthor now with John Diggle in Kingdom Come Superman in a group. Maybe that means Diggle, Lila, Martian Manhunter, and the rest, they're all working together. We're going to have a lot of assumptions we can start to make as more comes out. I just thought of this. So the five that are in the center, they're the leads of the show that we were talking about before. Barry Allen, Supergirl, Green Arrow, Batwoman, Black Lightning, and Captain Sarah Lance. So just picture this. They walk into a bar and they're just, you know, talking about their days and what they've been doing with their shows or whatever. So they go, Oliver, what have you done? Well, I fell off a cliff. You know, you know, Barry, what did you do? Well, I, you know, I did Flashpoint, whatever, and I had to watch my mom get killed several times, whatever. So they go through this whole thing and then and then it gets to Kate Kane herself, right? And so what did you do? I broke my back filming for this show. She wins. Hands down. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for letting me, you know, open the rabbit hole and you guys falling down it. I just saw it and there was just a couple of things. I just had to, they were just odd. The, really, the, the, the vibe and John Constantine part. That's what's odd. Because, if, again, if you've been watching The Flash, you know why vibe being there is odd. Well, we just got one more week and then we're in the thick of things. I know. So quick. 
Yeah, it's almost upon us, but you know what else is almost upon us? The end of the episode. <gasps> Ooh, sometimes no. I can tease one out. But hey guys, thank you to everyone who did participate in the chat room over at Geeks.Live and watched the live video stream. Big thank you to everyone who downloads the audio podcast over at StarlingTribune.com. Don't forget, you can download all of those podcasts. You can catch the video replay over at YouTube.com slash GunnaGeek. We try and put this everywhere so that you can consume it. And if you want to talk to us when we are not podcasting, which you can always do, by the way, at Geeks.Live, you can also join our Discord server at GunnaGeek.com slash Discord, and you can talk to us about this wonderful poster that we were just talking about, Crisis on Infinite Earths, what's going on in the DC Comics, anything. You can do that over at GunnaGeek.com slash Discord. And remember, we record this show live after arrow airs at geeks.live 7 30 p.m eastern 4 30 p.m pacific on thursdays we would love to hear from you we are the starlight tribune on facebook and instagram at starlight tribune on twitter and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE that's 612-888-2283 well this brings us to the end of another great episode any last words before we sign off at stargate pioneer hashtag russian umbrella drink at the Chris Farrell. Hashtag drinking with Anatoly Haas. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag you're my favorite American. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at Incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow. You know what we should do? I should send these, both of these to you guys, and we should autograph, all three of us, we should autograph the green drumsticks that I've been using mm-hmm. to do it. And we should send it to like maybe Bam Bam and Beth Schwartz <laughs> That'd be cool. and stuff like that. So, hey, if, if Bam Bam, if you or Beth are listening right now, go ahead and uh, send us a note on DM with an address, PO box, I don't care. We'll go ahead, we'll ship these around to the three of us and we'll send it off to you as remembrance of the Starling Tribune. Bye, guys. Bye.